Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So today we're continuing in Acts and we're in chapter 13. And today I'll be reading from the message. It seemed to be the... the uh, the simplest, because sometimes in the King James, for me at least, it, it seems like you can get all lost in even trying to pronounce the way they write the names. But anyway, I'll give it my best shot. Um, so let's just start with Acts 13, 1 and 2. The congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet preachers and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, nicknamed Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Menaean, an advisor to the ruler Herod, and Saul. One day as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance, the Holy Spirit spoke, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. I thought it was interesting when I was uh, studying about the fasting and the worshiping, um, that it was very traditional for the devoted Jewish people on Mondays and Thursdays, they would fast for the day. And um, and although they did that, and then that was their, their practice, their habit for those that were devoted, that for Christians officially, there was no officially known thing of, you know, if they made a practice of, uh, fasting on Saturday, say, or whatever. So, I don't know. I kind of think this is just my opinion and won't get you anywhere. But, uh, you know, we're humans. We're humans of habit. And um, I'll bet you that the devotees of the Lord probably did fast on Mondays and Thursdays. They were obviously fasting right now because the Holy Spirit spoke a word to them. And uh, then we move on. So they commissioned them. In that circle of intensity and obedience, of fasting and praying, they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Isn't that cool? They didn't have to get together a committee. They didn't have to make sure they had liability insurance or anything. They just had swift obedience, and uh, they did it. Uh, Oh, Jesus, that we would be swift in, in our obedience. <clears throat> Verses 4 and 5. They sent off on their new assignment by the Holy Spirit. Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia and caught a ship for Cyprus. The first thing they did when they put in at Salamis was preach God's word in the Jewish meeting places. They had John along to help out as needed. Verses 6 and 7, they traveled the length of the island and at Patphos came upon a Jewish wizard who had worked himself into the confidence of the governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man not easily taken in by charlatans. The wizard's name was Bar-Jesus. He was as crooked as a corkscrew. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Robert Morris, but sometimes when I'm listening to something on YouTube and then it finishes, but I'm working, right? So I'm, I'm listening, but I'm, I'm working. It'll sometimes just flip on to the next one. 
And so I was listening to something, and then it just flipped on to the next one, and up comes Robert Morris, and I kind of liked the guy. And um, I thought it was interesting because he talked about uh, magicians and sorcerers and um, uh, demons. And I never really thought about it this way before, but this guy here, it says in another version that he was a sorcerer and a false pro prophet. So a magician had great skill in deceiving or maybe more accurately you could say if you know any Christian music, uh, magicians that it's really the art of distraction, right? So that's like a major strategy that the enemy can use. But this guy was a sorcerer. And so for sorcerers, they're accessing information from evil sources. And um, so that's who this person was. So this guy was not your basic little magician and the, you know, the coin comes out from behind your ear. Oh, look, I have a gold coin. It was, this was a truly evil person. Um, or, you know, he was demonized. Verses 7 through 11. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul in, wanting to hear God's word firsthand from them. But Dr. Know-it-all, that's the wizard's name in plain English, stirred up a ruckus trying to divert the governor from becoming a believer. But Saul, or Paul as we know him, full of the Holy Spirit and looking him straight in the eye, you bag of wind, you parody of a devil, why you stay up nights in Benny's schemes to cheat people out of God. Interesting that that was the mission statement of the sorcerer, to cheat people out of God. But now you've come up against God himself and your game is up. You're about to go blind. No sunlight for you for a good long stretch. He was plunged immediately into a shadowy mist and stumbled around begging people to take his hand and show him the way. Verse 12. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer, <laughs> full of enthusiasm over what they were saying about the master. From Paphos, Paul and company put out to sea, sailing to Perga in Pamphylia. Didn't have a chance to study it, but I wonder if the that Perga stuff, what is it called that in the houses that everybody likes? Perga. Perga. I'm wondering if that's like somehow named because of this area. I don't know. It's a thought. Uh, <clears throat> sailing on to Perga in Pamphylia. That's where John called it quits and went back to Jerusalem. From Perga, the rest of them traveled on to Antioch in Pisidia. So this is the point where John calls it quits, and later on in, in other areas of the word, we find that um, there definitely was a conflict because of this. But, but everything that I've read, no one can really come to a firm idea why John left. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he was just done with it. Um, I don't know. Maybe he felt like his his calling was more to Jerusalem because that's where he returned. So I don't know, um, but it is interesting to think about. Verses 14 and 15. On the Sabbath day, they went to the meeting place and took their places. After the reading of the scriptures, God's law and the prophets, the president of the meeting asked them, friends, do you have anything you want to say? 
a word of encouragement, a word of encouragement, perhaps. Paul stood up, paused, and took a deep breath. Then said, "Fellow Israelites and friends of God, listen. God took a special interest in our ancestors, pulled our people who were beaten down in Egyptian exile to their feet." and led them out of there in grand style. <clears throat> I liked that Paul, while he is addressing uh, <clears throat> the people, he, he, by the Holy Spirit, pointed out that the, God took special interest in their ancestors and that even though they were beaten down while they were in um, Egypt, he put them back on their feet. That's another thing that the Holy Spirit highlighted to them. And then led them out in grand style. So then he was the deliverer too. He, is, he was the uh, sustainer. So that, that also is another um, thing that the Holy Spirit said through Paul. He took good care of them for nearly 40 years in that God-forsaken wilderness. And then, having wiped out seven enemies who stood in the way, gave them the land of Canaan for their very own, a span in all of about 450 years. So the Holy Spirit wanted them to be uh, aware of something. I might have went into the whole song and dance if, if, if I was doing it about the wilderness and how horrible it was and all this stuff. But the Holy Spirit wanted to point out to them, hey, he took, he took good care of these people. Because remember, they were in the wilderness not because God wanted it for them, but because that's what they chose by the decisions that he, they made. Yeah. So for 40 years, he took good care of them. And then he goes on to say by the Holy Spirit that seven enemies were wiped out in about 450 years. That must have meant something to them. It must have been something maybe a felt need or a perceived need but if I if I was listening to it of course I'm not in that same kind of culture so probably who cares what I think but um, if seven enemies were completely wiped out in 450 years I think that took a long time you know but for them maybe it represented constancy maybe it represented his faithfulness um, there's a lot of things here, but this is what the Holy Spirit was highlighting through Paul. We go on, verses 20 to 22. Up to the time of Samuel the prophet, God provided judges to lead them. But then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, out of the tribe of Benjamin. After Saul had ruled four years, God removed him from office and put King David in his place with this commendation. <clears throat> I've searched the land and I've found this David, son of Jesse. So God provided to lead the people, judges, up until time of Samuel, Samuel the prophet. Again, realizing that the scripture said that we just started out at the very beginning of chapter 13, that this church had a lot of prophets and it had a lot of teachers. So it's interesting to me by the Holy Spirit that if there, say there was a evangelist and 
pastors that he might have spoken to them in a different way. Maybe about shepherds for the pastors, maybe for the evangelists, the, the lost sheep. I, I don't know. But what did he do here? He addresses this by the prophets and brings, keeps bringing up the prophets. And there's a bunch of prophets and teachers there. So um, they're paying attention, I hope. But um, then it goes on to say that, uh, but the people asked for a king. So the Lord gave him Saul. The Lord didn't want to give them a king. He wanted to be there. He just wanted to have no mediator. He wanted just to have a relationship with them. But they wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted to look like everyone else. And, um, and so he relented and gave them Saul, which I've heard it said that we deserve our leaders. So um, they deserved that because Saul was a man that was not after God's own heart. And by the Holy Spirit's own saying here, God removed him. But it gave him 40 years. So, again, extending uh, grace and opportunity to make good choices. We continue on. He's a man whose heart, this is referring to David, beats to my heart a man who will do what I tell him. From out of David's descendants, God produced a Savior for Israel Jesus, exactly as he promised. But only after John had thoroughly alerted the people to his arrival by preparing them for a total life change. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that David is a man after God's own heart. But, you know, there is a couple elephants in the room. And so I'm thinking, well... He committed adultery, he murdered, he did all these things. But as far as governing, he did the guide the government according to God's laws. And he did something more. He did not allow idolatry, and he did not set up a dictatorship. He sought the leading of God in all things that were public. And when he didn't seek the Lord in his private things, things went awry. And when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, things went awry. I also never really had noticed this before. Maybe it's because it's a different version. But um, I somehow was thinking about this thoroughly alerted the people to his arrival and then preparing them for a life change. And... I want to encourage us all that it's my belief in this particular scripture will back it up that when when we have life changes whether we're coming to Christ or maybe we're accepting a new assignment or something like that that he will thoroughly alert us and prepare us and if he's not speaking we can know that we're in that preparing time and to to be able to rest in that instead of thinking um, going there, going backwards, going and thinking that, um, oh, well, I must be in sin, or, or I must be backsliding, or I must be, you know, fill in the blank, whatever works for you. But I believe by the Holy Spirit that he will alert his people, and he will prepare them. And if he's preparing us by having some silence, that's okay, too, because we're being strengthened kind of like those isometric exercises where 
you don't you see yourself pushing against the rock and you don't see the rock moving but what is being built up it's your muscles and so even in that silence the the uh, spiritual muscles so to speak are being prepared we go on as John was finishing up his work he said did you think I was the one no I'm not the one but the one you've been waiting for all these years is just around the corner about to appear and I'm about to disappear verses 26 to 29 dear brothers and sisters children of Abraham and friends of God this message of salvation has been precisely targeted to you the citizens and rulers in Jerusalem didn't recognize who he was and condemned him to death they couldn't find a good reason but demanded that Pilate execute him anyway I thank the Lord that through the Holy Spirit and Paul's message here that he's trying to commu communicate to them you're chosen I'm coming to you first you're chosen and yet as we find out in other places in the Gospels, especially Luke 13 and Luke 19, that um, I found out Jesus wept three times and, and two times is here in Luke 13 and Luke 19. And he wept over Jerusalem. And I just thought he wept over Jerusalem because he was having compassion. But when you read these scriptures in their context, you will find that, and probably other scriptures too, that they missed their day of visitation. Um, he was coming to them first they missed their day of visitation and once I saw that I thought no wonder he was weeping Jerusalem was his his favorite his people's favorite and they missed their time of visitation Lord let us not miss our times of visitation they did just what the prophet said they would do. Again, this prophet thing going on here. But had no idea they were following to the letter the script of the prophets, even though those same prophets are read every Sabbath in their meeting places. And so it was a tradition that every year they, they divided up the scriptures, the holy scriptures, the law and the prophets, so that it would go, they would go through it in a year. So that Bible reading in a year thing isn't any new idea, except for them it was less, you know. They would go through it in a year. And so again, they're emphasizing to a bunch of prophets and teachers saying, hey, and you like read it every year, but you're not uh, getting it. And you, this is public. Everybody can hear it and, and observe it, yet they still didn't see it, it's been so on my heart that all of, all of us, all of the body of Christ, including myself, been very, very um, uh, carrying a concern that we would not just do our, you know, check it off kind of thing, show up for an hour on Sunday or whatever, and, <laughs> and now we've done our due diligence kind of thing, but if it could happen to them where they missed their time of visitation, it could happen to us because we're, we're not any different. We are human as well. And um, so I sincerely pray every single moment, every single day, whether you're 
watching it online, or you're watching it, watching TV through the week, sermons and everything, but that you won't miss what is the Holy Spirit saying to you, and that you will also be prompt to be obedient of whatever he's saying. Um, very, very concerned of mine. Uh, much concern. Verses 29 to 31. After they had done everything the prophets said they would do, they took him down from the cross and buried him. And then God raised him from death. There is no disputing that. He appeared over and over many times and places to those who had known him well in the Galilean years. And these same people continue to give witness that he is alive, 32 to 35. And we're here today bringing you good news, the message that what God promised the fathers has come true for the children, for us. He raised Jesus exactly as described in the second Psalm, which by the way is Psalms 2-7 in case you need to know. My son, my very own son, today I celebrate you. When he raised him from the dead, he did it for good. No going back to that rotten decay for him. That's why Isaiah said, I'll give to all of you David's guaranteed blessings. So also the psalmist's prayer, you'll never let your Holy One see death's rot and decay. That's uh, Psalm 16:10. there. Verses 36 to 39. David, of course, having completed the work God set out for him, has been in the grave, dust and ashes, a long time now. But the one God raised up, no dust and ashes for him. I want you to know, my very dear friends, that it is on account of this resurrected Jesus that the forgiveness of your sins can be promised. He accomplishes in those who believe everything that the law of Moses could never make good on. But everyone who believes in this raised up Jesus is declared good and right and whole before God. Something that I learned not, not too long ago, probably was not even more than 10 years ago, um, I didn't realize that the sacrifices and everything that was made that had to be done each year did not remove sin. It only covered it over for a year. Right. That was it. Right. And um, so I like this part here. This was the part of the Law of Moses that it couldn't make good on because we were waiting for Jesus and that they were looking forward to Jesus. And then he declares, everyone who believes in this is declared good and right and whole before God. He declares that we are good, we are whole, we are right in God's eyes. Verses 40 and 41. Don't take this lightly. You don't want the prophet's revelation to describe you. Oops. Watch out, cynics. Look hard. Watch your world fall to pieces. I'm doing something right before your eyes that you won't believe, though it's staring you in the face. 42 and 43. When the service was over, Paul and Barnabas were invited back to preach again the next Sabbath. As the meeting broke up, a good many Jews and converts to Judaism went along with Paul and Barnabas, who urged them in long conversations to stick with what they'd started. 
this living in and by God's grace. I don't know what this does to you, but here's these people hearing this good news, possibly for some of them for the very first time, and maybe for others they've heard it a time or two, and maybe for now it's sticking. But they urged, after having long conversations, two things, to stick with what they'd started and living in and by God's grace. Interesting thought of all the things that he could, they could have said. Just want to put that out there. Verses 44 and 45. When the next Sabbath came around, practically the whole city showed up to hear the word of God. Some of the Jews, seeing the crowds, went wild with jealousy and tore into Paul, contradicting everything he was saying, making an ugly scene. Verses 46 and 47. But Paul and Barnabas did back down. Standing their ground, they said, It was required that God's word be spoken first of all to you, the Jews. But seeing that you want no part of it, you've made it clear, quite clear, that you have no taste or inclination for eternal life. The door is open to all the outsiders. And that uh, ended up being fulfilled in 70 AD, and he was uh, quoting part of Isaiah 49.6. Um, this is where the door of op opportunity opened up for us, so that we can be filled with joy. We can be right with God. We can be, to be declared whole and good and right before God. When the non-Jewish outsiders heard this, they could hardly believe their good fortune. All who were marked out for real life put their trust in God and honored God's word by receiving that life. And this message of salvation spread like wildfire all through the region. Lord, I pray that your message of salvation would spread like wildfire through this region, Lord. And once again, pray that the wildfires would be stopped in Jesus' name and that lawlessness would not reign. Verses 50 to 52. Some of the Jews convinced the most respected women and leading men of the town that their precious way of life was about to be destroyed. Alarmed, they turned on Paul and Barnabas and forced them to leave. Paul and Barnabas shrugged their shoulders and went on to the next town, Iconium, brimming with joy and the Holy Spirit, two happy disciples. It says in another translation that they shook the very dust off their feet, which was understood to the people there that that was like a curse, saying, we're wiping off even the dust of your land, let alone the land. You're, you're cursed. This is something that they, that, um, that they would have understood that, that if people accept your peace, fine. If they don't accept your peace, the word says, receive it back to yourself. But they were brimming with joy in the Holy Spirit to happy disciples. Again, the Holy Spirit uh, alerting us here that look at this. They had a whole city that was against them. And these were lying, liars. They're all lying and um, angry and vengeful. And here's, that, here's Paul and Barnabas in the Holy Spirit, really happy and filled with joy. 
I mean, oh my gosh. Maybe that way for us. So I wanted to uh, bring eight ways God speaks to men, um, mostly out of the book of Acts that we've done so far, uh, but uh, some not. One is through prophecy, which we just went over, and it's also in Acts 3 and 21. There's tongues and interpretations, that's 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, through the still small voice, where probably most of us would say, that's how I hear God. Um, through an audible voice, uh, continued on number five by angels in Acts 8, 12, and 27, by visions, Acts 9, 10, 11, 16, and 18, by dreams, Matthew 1, 22, 12 through 22, Acts 2, 17, or by impressions or inspired or inspiration upon a man's spirit. Uh, we'll see this in Acts 17, 18, and 19. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.